Our scripture lesson this evening as we continue our evening study of Ephesians. It brings us to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. So we read here the word of God as he inspired Paul, his apostle, to write to the church at Ephesus, and here teaching us particularly of marriage, of the relationship of wives to their husbands and husbands to wives, and what that is a picture of, as we will get into that in our sermon. But here is God's holy word, inspired by him, therefore inerrant, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in the sight of God this evening. Well, this evening in our study of Ephesians, we come to one of the most misunderstood, misapplied, misused, and even hated passages in the whole Bible. Uh, Modern feminists absolutely detest Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I was once in a classroom in which the professor asked for a show of hands uh, as to how many people disliked the Apostle Paul. Nearly all, maybe all, of the women in the room raised their hands. Now, this was in a liberal seminary. So, um, <clears throat> But when the professor asked them why, well, it became quite clear, uh, quickly it was apparent, that these women believed Paul was a misogynist. If you uh, young people maybe haven't heard that word, that's just a fancy word that means woman-hater. A male chauvinist. And they pointed to this and related passages to prove it. Now, to his credit, that particular professor strove to show that different roles in relationships 
uh, in marriage, family, church, society, does not mean a different value as persons. It does not detract from a child's dignity as a human being to obey his parents. It does not detract from my dignity as a human being to honor someone in political office over me or to give deference to more experienced pastors at a presbytery meeting. It just shows a proper honor. Now others will try to explain away this passage. Before I get to that, maybe I ought to also mention as an aside that uh, yes, the, the stereotypical male chauvinist in history might also point to a passage like this and say, see, God says women are to obey men and to be subject to them. Well, uh, we have to nuance it a little bit more than that. And we'll note as we go through this passage that never is the man told to put his wife in subjection. The woman is told to submit herself. It's not a man's boot on a woman's neck. Or as we go on with this letter, the parents' boots on their children's necks, uh, or anything of the sort. But uh, it's interesting that you'll notice, and you'll maybe notice this in other uh, respects, in politics and and in many of the social debates and what are often called the culture wars today, that people who are at the extreme ends often come around and meet each other (laughs) by the back door. And uh, particularly, this is the case with people's misinterpretations of Scripture. The male chauvinist misinterprets the Scripture and says, uh, see, uh, men must dominate women. And... The feminist says, and that's why we have to reject the Bible, because it says men must dominate women. We've seen this kind of thing, particularly with the critical race theory stuff, where you'll notice, by the way, that the the extreme racist pretty much agrees with the so-called anti-racist now on these racial differences. <laughs> it's, uh, it's insane. These people claiming to be anti-racist have become just as racist as the most rabid racists in history. But others will try to explain away this passage, trying to take a little more moderate approach, and they'll say that it isn't about husbands having authority in the family. They'll point to verse 21 and say that's the controlling verse for all of the verses that follow about submission. Christians are to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Therefore, wives submit to husbands. Husbands, in the same way, are to submit to their wives. That, of course, becomes a little bit absurd as we go on. Uh, Certainly, Ephesians 5.21 has a bearing on what follows, but let's take that to its logical conclusion. If verse 21 controls the passage about submission, all of the passages that follow, then God would be telling us, wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, submit to your wives. Not many people have a problem with that. But then how about this one? Children, obey your parents. Parents, obey your children. That makes sense? <clears throat> slaves, obey your masters. Masters, obey your slaves. Or as we'll get, when we get to that passage, we'll note that there are applications for our more common employer-employee relationship. Uh, when you're the supervisor at work, you're in charge. You don't uh, expect the workers to tell you how things are going to be that day at work and what need, work needs to be done. You're going to be telling the others what work needs to be done, and when. More pointedly, we see in 
Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, that Paul would be saying the church submits to Christ and Christ submits to the church. Now that doesn't quite make sense. But Christ did submit himself to God for the church. So it's obviously not a correct way of seeing things to say that in that radical way, verse 21 has to be the controlling verse for all of these things. If we look at what Paul says about wives submitting and husbands laying down their lives, it's more logical to go back to verse 2 of the chapter to find out our controlling verse. What is verse 2 telling us? What is, how do we uh, read these things? And we see in verse 2, Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The love and self-sacrifice of Christ becomes a model for us to be imitated by all Christians in our various roles toward, and with that, that self-sacrifice is going to look different as we relate to different people in different roles in our lives. In general, it means a mutual submission, as we saw in verse 21, willingness to put our brothers and sisters ahead of ourselves. But then there are going to be ways in which that's affected by ordinary authority structures in our lives, in marriages, in family, at work. In particular, it's going to take on particular characteristics depending on, on who we're relating to. You're a, are you the student or are you the teacher in the classroom? Are you the, the boss or are you the employee at work? Are you the child or are you the parent at home? Elsewhere, the apostles address this in terms of church and civil authorities as well. Are we the one in high office or are we under that authority? Here Paul deals with husbands and wives, and we'll get on to some other relationships in the the weeks to come. Here he's dealing with husbands and wives. How do wives show self-sacrificial love to their husbands? How do husbands show self-sacrificial love to their wives? Paul starts with the wife and says the way that wives uh, imitate Christ's love is by submitting to their husbands. Christ himself submitted to the will of his father. And he lost, in doing that, none of his dignity, none of his glory as God. In fact, Philippians 2 says that he, because he is submitted for that time, has been given extra glory. Christ lost none of his value as a person of the Godhead, subjecting himself to the will of the Father. Wives are not devalued as human beings when they submit righteously to their husbands but rather they imitate Christ's humility. And so we see in verses 22 through 24, as we take a look at our passage tonight, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now notice first that Paul says, Your own husbands. That's particularly important in the Greek because there isn't a different word for wife versus woman, a different word for husband versus man. That's this is the case in many other languages. If any of you have ever studied German, for example, uh, the, the word for husband is the same 
as the word for man, the word for wife is the same as the word for woman. Um, <clears throat> in fact, one of the social problems they ran into in the late 20th century and up to this time uh, in Germany was there, there was a tendency historically to call all unmarried women Fräulein, which means sort of an underage woman, uh, and married women or Frau, which is like a grown woman. Um, and uh, there were more and more women who didn't get married toward the end of, of the uh, 20th century, or at least they wouldn't get married till later on. And so you'd have a woman who might be 35 and she'd still be call being called basically little girl, when people are calling her Fräulein. Um, so it's sort of more the common practice to call all grown women Frau, but it used to just, that word just used to mean wife. So here, he says, you know, women, submit to your own men. Right? The, the man that belongs to you, he actually uses a word there for your particular husband. The Greek is very specific. The word translated as own isn't just of you but the one particular to you. It's actually a, a word from which we get our word idiom, something that is specific, uh, or, and also our word idiot, someone who's peculiar. So some have joked that it's women submit to your idiot husbands. And uh, that, while that's a bit uh, trite and silly, uh, we might note, as we go on here, we'll note that the submission to the husband is not based on how worthy of it you might think he is. He might be an idiot husband, and still you are called to submit. <clears throat> but notice, it's not women submit to men, but wives submit to the particular husband you have. As a friend of mine pointed out when he was talking about this, he said, well, my wife doesn't have to submit to the man who's in line next to her in the grocery store just because she's a woman and he's a man. She's called to submit to me because I'm her husband, and that's the authority structure that God has created in the household. Uh, but that submission, of course, uh, has its limits as well. And it'll, as we'll see here, it's controlled particularly by the fact that it is in the Lord. So this is to be without compulsion, uh, You'll notice no husband is commanded to force his wife to submit, nor is any wife told to make her husband lay down his life. These are things that Christians are supposed to do voluntarily as part of their righteousness, as part of their sanctification. Paul's not concerned with our complaints that our husbands or our wives aren't doing their part. You know, if I were to to go to, to Paul for counseling. And, and I said, well, you know, my wife just isn't submitting, so why should I lay down my life for her? I'm not saying this is true, by the way. Kim's a wonderful wife. Uh, she seeks to be a very godly wife, as far as I can see. And I'm very pleased with the wife that the Lord has given me. But if I were to have some complaint like that, the Apostle Paul wouldn't say, well, here's what you do to make your wife submit. He would say, so what? Lay down your life for her. Give yourself up for her. That's your job. If she comes to me for counsel, I'll tell her what her part is. Paul's not concerned with our complaints that our spouses aren't doing their part, but he wants each Christian husband and wife to do his or her own part. 
So this submission is willingly and lovingly to be offered as the church is supposed to willingly and offer uh, willingly and lovingly offer its submission to Christ. So wives are not called to submit as they think their husbands deserve, but as to the Lord. But there are at least two aspects to that statement that this submission is to be as to the Lord. Number one is the submission is not because you have a perfect husband. And for those of us who aren't married here, if this is what you want to encourage in the marriage of others or young people who might marry someday, think, be looking for spouses like this. The submission is not because you have a perfect husband, but because you are modeling the relationship of the church to Christ for a watching world to see. Married ladies, maybe you're frustrated, exasperated, angry at your husband. Your submission is not about him. It's about Jesus. So the question is, can you submit to Jesus? Is he good enough to submit to? The other aspect of saying that this is as to the Lord is that your submission is to the Lord first. You must not submit to your husband in anything sinful. You know, if your husband tells you to rob a bank, well, you don't do that. If he tells you to skip church, well, you go anyway. Right? Unless he's telling you for a legitimate reason, that you know, I, I think you might have a deadly disease, don't go and spread it to everybody at church. That That's probably good advice to take. But other than being providentially prevented, your husband forbids you to go worship the Lord, well, you go worship the Lord. Because that's a, God is a higher authority. But the important thing here is that our marriages would demonstrate to the world that beautiful relationship between Christ and the church. And so that's where Paul goes on. He has much to say to husbands in that regard. He says in verses 25 through 27, to begin with here, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You know, if my wife is not living up to the godliness that I think she should. I'm not, again, this is hypothetical here. Um, I'm not to just force her or nag at her, harp on her all the time. Yes, I can give her counsel. But the way that I get her to be the wife that I would desire is by being the husband she should desire. So men who are married are commanded to love our wives with the same selfless, humbling, self-sacrificing love that Christ expressed to the church by giving himself up for us. This is not an easy thing to do. And did Christ do that for us when we deserved to receive that? Or did he do it when we did not deserve it? Obviously, it's when we did not deserve it. If I'm to give myself up for Kim, whether I'm upset with her, angry with her about something, feeling uh, affectionate or not feeling affectionate, where I, whether I think she's submitting or not, is absolutely irrelevant to whether I'm supposed to lay down my life for her or not, give myself up for her or not. 
Jesus didn't wait for me to act like he wanted me to act to lay down his life for me. He did it when I didn't deserve it, when I was his enemy. So I should give myself up for my wife. No matter what I think she's doing right or wrong. And how did Jesus give himself up for the church? He came down from his heavenly throne. Can I not give up my pleasures and preferences for my wife? He came under authority. Can I not be a humble servant for her sake? Putting up with difficulties in my relation to the world in order to secure her good? He went to his death. Can I not be inconvenienced for her? Loving our wives as Christ loved us is a tall order. I will always in this life fall short of that because I don't have the perfect love of Christ Jesus. It's hard to wrap our minds around doing that. And so it would be very easy for men to look at that and say, well, I can't do that and just give up and not even try. But amid the imagery of Christ as the groom of the bride and as the head of the body, Paul also weaves this imagery of him, or rather I said, in, in a, amid this imagery of Christ as the groom of the bride, he does weave this imagery of the head of the body. And that gets a little bit easier for us to understand in terms of our daily life. If we have a hard time imagining how to love our wives as Christ loved the church, Think about how we treat our bodies. Do we put them in unreasonable danger? Not ordinarily. Not if we're sane. You know, do we starve our bodies? You can tell in just the few years I've been here I haven't starved. No, we, we take care of them. We wash them, we nourish them. And so that's how men are to think of their wives. When Christ gave himself up, it was to cleanse us. Likewise, husbands have a duty to play a role in the cleansing of their wives by the washing of water with the word. As it's important to lead our wives in the reading of scripture. That's one of the applications we see from texts like this is that men have a responsibility as the head of the household to lead the family in worship. I'm going to talk about intimacy. How's that? You're taking a spiritual bath with your wife every day, so to speak. We're to care for them as we would care for our own bodies. Verses 28 through 33, then, the rest of the passage. So husbands ought to love their own wives... As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there's a quote, a citation from from Genesis 2, the first marriage as God created it. And then he says, this is a great mystery. It's hard to understand this. And it's something that that 
in the past was obscure in its meaning, but now it's quite clear it's concerning Christ and the church. But he says, nevertheless, as an application there, verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the mystery of the union of marriage, whereby two become one flesh, is meant to point to the union of Christ with his church. But because the two become one flesh, as we see in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4, our bodies even come under one another's authority in marriage. Now here's uh, where we do see the mutual submission element of this. Yes, God has so ordered it that there is uh, an order of authority in the household. But even within that, the one who's at the top is to be conducting servant leadership. And if Paul were a male chauvinist in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he would simply have said, Wives, you don't own your own bodies, your husband does, and he would have stopped there. But he also says, Husbands, you don't own your own bodies, your wife does. So this mystery of this union shows that as these two become one flesh, one element of that is that our bodies don't just belong to us, they belong to one another. My Mine belongs to my wife and hers to me. Again, not in a, a subjection, a slavery kind of thing, but in a mutually self-sacrificing way. As the head of the body in relation to his wife, the man is called to nourish and cherish her, just as she is called to subject herself and respect him. Just as the church is to respect and submit to Christ, and he gives himself up for her and still nourishes and cherishes her. So Paul concludes with this God-given insight into human nature. Notice this, wives feel loved, when their husbands cherish them. I remember a woman in a congregation I was pastoring some years ago who uh, just jokingly said that she was far nearer than to the truth than she maybe intended by the joke when she said, don't men understand we just want to be adored? <clears throat> when a woman feels cherished, she feels loved. When she feels protected, she feels loved. When she feels like her husband is giving himself up for her, that's when she feels loved. Husbands, men, feel loved when they see that they're respected. I've also heard the joke here that this word here for respect, in some translations, is translated as reverence. And since reverence is the next thing to worship, I heard one speaker once say that uh, my wife takes that very seriously. She brings me a burnt offering three times a day. <laughs> but no, it's, it's respect. This is what it's really about. Husbands feel loved when they note that they're respected. It's a little bit, it's a nuanced difference, but it shows how God has, so to speak, wired us differently. The differences between men and women are more than just the surface differences.
So it's important that we be reminded of these things because God created marriage not just for human satisfaction. It is for that. It's for procreation. It's for mutual support. for remedy against sin and many other things that Scripture tells us marriage is about. But the biggest thing it's about is to model the relationship of Christ and the church. This is why it's so important that we guard and cherish marriage as God gave it. If we mess with it or we reverse the roles, the image of Christ and the church get distorted. If we redefine marriage so that it's men with men and women with women and however many you want to throw in there, two instead of two wives instead of one, you know, six people instead of two people, well, then you, you obliterate that image of the relationship of Christ and the church, the groom with the bride. If we make light of marital commitments, we sully, we dirty that picture of what Christ has done for us. Our marriages, Christian marriages, and this is, uh, of course, especially a message for married Christians, but for unmarried Christians, this is something that you should look forward to if you're looking forward to marriage. If you're never married, it's something you still should honor and encourage among others. Our marriages preach sermons to the world. What sermons are we preaching with our marriages? God willing, it will be that the world sees an image of Christ giving himself up for the church and an image of the church loving that and appreciating that fact and submitting lovingly So in other words, it will be an image of different ways of giving oneself up, but of two who give themselves up for the other. As an image of the relationship of Christ to his church and the church to Christ. Well, let's pray. The most holy God, we thank you that Christ gave himself up for us, that we have been cleansed and nourished and cherished by him, So we ask that you would cause each of us here so to honor marriage that whether married or not, we will help the watching world understand Christ's relationship to the church and the church's relationship to Christ. For we do pray in the name of our head and our husband, the bride of the groom, Christ Jesus. Amen.